Hello and welcome to episode 92 of the Replacement Level Podcast. I'm Ross Carey. Thanks for listening. We'll be joined right now by Dan Samborski. Dan is the creator of the Zips Projection System and a regular contributor to Fangraphs and ESPN. Dan, welcome back to the podcast. Hey, Ross. How's it going today? I'm great. Thanks so much for joining the show again. The last time you were on, it was several years ago at this point. We talked about how you created Zips, and I'm curious what's changed in Zips since the last time we've talked. Have you updated it? What's been going on with it? And any tweaks or or significant changes you've made to the system? Uh, Well, it never stands still. There's always new sources of data. I've started incorporating more StatCast type things, uh, velocity data, uh, some spin rate data. And I've, you know, I've done a lot of more research on modeling longer term projections because that's 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 the the one year projections. It's hard to kind of tweak out much more accuracy. We we've kind of gotten rid of most of the low hanging fruit and most of the the middle hanging fruit. Uh, so I, I'm, I'm focusing a lot on, on improving my model for long term projections, which is important because teams sign players for long term. So many players now are changing their swing path. They're trying to uppercut the ball down on the zone. And for many players, it's worked. Daniel Murphy, J.D. Martinez, Jose Batista was early on that. Uh, some guys don't see the same success. Ryan Schimpf hits the ball. He's not going to do anything there. How do you take things like that into consideration when you see batters who have changed their swing? If you see a pitcher who's added a pitch, are you able to take those things into consideration as well? Well, it depends on what the time frame is. Season to season, you can, you can it, it reflects in the data. But in season, that's a little trickier. Uh, my in-season model is simpler just because it has to run every night. And if if I couldn't run it every night, then I'd have to actually run a computer 24-7 doing nothing but running projections because that's how long it takes for each projection. So there's always, you know, a little bit of give and take and some natural error range in some of these projections. So uh, while, like, take Yonder Alonso last year. He's probably the best example of a player uh, who changed his approach considerably and had, at least for half a season, significant improvements. Uh, Zips does see the improvement. It sees that he's changed his his fly ball grounder ratio and it does consider that real but it's hard it doesn't really take into effect you know the the swing angles or anything that that's a little too much right now uh but sometimes getting a projection is easier than a more complex method which you can't make projections with is there a a holy grail that's missing from projection systems at this point not just your system but any system in general is there something that if only there was access to this the systems would improve by whatever amount? Well, if we're going by like the non-realistic wants, I'd love a time machine to get some of this stat cast data for like the 1950s because, I mean, Zips ages player with players with lots of data, but it, does, it ages them against, you know, historic players. But we don't have a lot of historic players. We don't have their stat cast data for history. We had the stat cast data, you know, for a couple of years. It'd be super useful to know, say, like, Young third baseman, first baseman, sluggers, how their how their their uh, velocity off the bat changes as they age. That would be really cool to have. We don't have that, and I think if we build a time machine, we should probably change history in more productive ways than making baseball data more available. But of the realistic things, I I'd love to get just more and more research on injuries and how players recover from injuries, and that's that's always tricky. Zips does deal with injuries. But it's 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 hard to categorize. There's always a classification problem because, yeah, Zips knows the average player, how well they pref- recover from Tommy John surgery. But surgeries tend to be different. Not everybody's foot injury is the same. Not everybody's shoulder injury is the same. I'd love to have more 
I don't even know what it would look like, but I'd love to have better injury data. Uh, I don't know if that'll ever happen, but I think it's something that is kind of a holy grail. We are in small sample size season. This is going to be a fun with small sample sizes episode. I'm curious, we're early in the season, obviously. What players have seen their projections increase the most since the season started? On the good side, assuming we're talking increase like getting better, uh, Adam Adovino of the Rockies has actually had his ERA projection drop by half a point. Actually, it's like like six-tenths of a run of ERA, and that's twice the next largest change. Uh, he, he has something ridiculous like like 22 strikeouts and nine innings or something right now. I don't actually yeah, have his actual stats in front of me. Yeah, he's he, he kind of... He, he's not even throwing that four seamer anymore. He's pretty much gone all two seamer. Yeah, here it is. 22 strikeouts and 10 innings against one walk and two hits. Zips thinks he's going to maintain that or something so close to that. Well, his FIP is his his fielding independent pitching his FIP is negative at the moment. <laughs> uh, which if he maintained that, then when he steps into the game, they'd have to roll a, a, a die and if and if it comes up like the right number, then the actual team would have to give one of their runs back. It's a negative FIP in Colorado. Yeah, a negative. So that's what they would have to do. They'd have to actually give a run back if he matched his FIP. So his improvement has been considerable. And there is a I don't think he's going to maintain this, but he's getting a lot of success with this approach. Just saying hell with it, going with his sinker slash two seamer and his slider. And it, he, he's looked pretty dominating. Dylan Bundy has also have a, a considerable improvement. He, he, he never really had that dominating strikeout rate, uh, even when pitching well last year, but he's been on early. I mean, it hasn't really reflected in his one loss record for the Orioles, but he's, he's one of the most improved in the projections. Uh, now, if I go over to the hitters, uh, the most improved one is Christian Villanueva of the Padres, who's kind of, you know, taken the third base job and has something like six home runs already. He's one of those late bloomers. And it, it, it's nice to see the Padres give a player like that a chance, because one of the things the rebuilding team needs to do is, is, is look at these players that aren't prospects anymore, but are interesting. And the Padres, they've, they've, they've blocked some of that with the Hosmer signing and, 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 uh, and various trades they've made. I, I, I think that they did get a chance to fill in a wave. And so far, he's hit just with pretty impressive power. And so Zip sees that. And power changes tend to be fairly real. So it's already bumped up his projection by 40 points of OPS, which is really good when you're talking essentially two and a half weeks of a season. That's a huge jump. I'm surprised Matt Chapman isn't at the top of the leaderboards as uh, guys who are increasing the most. He's up there. I have him if I... If I look at the projections for all 416 players that have played in the majors hitting this wise this year, uh, Chapman is 17th, so he's way up there. Uh, he's got about a 20-point boost in OPS. Otani has also had a pretty significant boost of his hitting, even in a small sample size, just because he's a player that it's hard for a projection system to get like the head around, simply because he was in Japan, and that's, that's hard enough to translate as it is, but that he's had so little time, relatively speaking, because he's not a Japanese veteran. He's still a young player in Japan, and he missed time recently He with his injury last year. Was it his shin? I don't remember offhand, but every, every little bit of data kind of pushes us in one direction or the other uh, for Otani. So his his projection is is another one that's gone up quite a bit. Didi Gregorius of the Yankees, uh, Jose Martinez of the Cardinals. Bryce Harper's has gone up a bit. 
Uh, because people always talk about like Bryce Harper like he's a guaranteed superstar, but he's really only had one year uh, of his career that he's been both healthy for an entire season and a true superstar, someone who plays like near that trout level. Uh, so there's actually a surprising amount of uncertainty around Bryce Harper, and he's doing his best to answer it fairly early. That's good stuff. I mean, we're going to hit a lot about Otani today. Any other noticeable hitters that you want to talk about? Anybody else at the top of the leaderboard that's gaining big in OPS, projected OPS? Ozzy Albies has has improved. We talk about Matt Chapman. Matt Davidson has a higher home run projection now. Those are the most notables. Uh, are we are we doing the bad side? Or are we doing the yeah? Let's later? do the bad side too. Who is who's dropping the most here? Ryan Zimmerman's dropped quite a bit. Chris Davis has dropped quite Baltimore a bit. Baltimore Chris Davis. I mean, Davis has been a mess with the world. Yeah, Baltimore Chris Davis. You need to like be able to pronounce the K's differently yeah. <laughs> for Chris and Chris. Like, okay, you're Chris, you're Chris yeah. <laughs> or Christopher. We'll just call him Crush. It was like the, yeah, it it was it was the Chris Carters, and I always just called one of them Christopher Carter. <laughs> that works. So Chris Davis, he I mean he struggled last year. He was good a couple years before that, but. Uh, that's one of those, I know you're an Orioles guy, that's one of those contracts they're going to be dealing with for the next uh, six years, and it's going to be a problem. Yeah, Stanton's, uh, Giancarlo Stanton, his his projection has dropped somewhat. It's still a terrific projection, but that top end's come down a little bit because he has struggled at times to a surprising degree, especially with his contact rate uh, uh, with the Yankees. So it's not enough to say, hey... John Carlos Stanton is terrible. I mean, that, that would be a ridiculous thing to say. But you do, you know, you shade your expectations down a bit because people always act like a projection is, is some unchanging fact about a player. But it's really like a snapshot in time. When you, whenever you run a projection for a player, that's just where it looks like at that point. And there's a huge error range. And every little bit of data kind of shades us in one direction or another. Uh, pretty much all performance is significant when, when you look at that. So even though it is a small sample size and we haven't reached that mythical date that baseball prospectus used to call Cinco de Samplo tends to be around yep. May 5th where you start to care a little yep. more. So I always, I always like that joke. Uh, Christina Carl told me about it and I was like, wow, I have to, I have to use that for now. And that's amazing. <laughs> uh, but when, when you, when you strike out 27 times in, in like 70 at bats all of a sudden, I mean, that, that is, that is a concern. Not enough to say that he's going to have a bad season, but you just maybe, you know, shade them down a little bit. And that's what we're doing at this time of the year. This, we're not drastically changing thinking about a player in most cases. What about pitchers? Who's uh, who's projected to decrease the most? Alex Cobb. Ziffs did not like that first start with the Orioles. <laughs> I can't imagine why. Yeah, I didn't like that start either. Uh, Jake Arrieta, his strikeout rate hasn't really come back yet. Uh, slightly worried about Brian Mitchell, who has a lot of potential, but he's just been walking a lot of guys i mean you expected brian mitchell to walk a lot of guys but this is a little bit on the extreme side if a computer can worry it, it does worry a little bit zips is also kind of a bit more worried than it was about felix hernandez yeah zips wasn't on the train where i was saying okay felix hernandez is just gonna be terrible from now on but king felix has not had a good start his his numbers are not recovered he's been very easy to hit home runs off of uh, he's allowed, I think, five already, and his FIP is somewhere near six, I believe. Uh, and that's concerning. It's four starts, but you kind of want it's every start we don't get King Felix back. It, it becomes a, just that little bit more likely that he's abdicated the throne, and he's like the Duke. Well, hopefully he doesn't become the court jester. 
he's got a while to go. He he doesn't pitch for the Orioles yet. So, <laughs> how do you handle drops in velocity? We see that every year. There's leaderboards. Who's losing the most velocity? One of the players on that list this year is Kenley Jansen. He's been so dominant. Do you actually project him down a little bit as well? Yeah, Zips projected him at a uh, 2.29 ERA coming into the season. It's at 2.66 now. Uh, now that's indirect measurements. I don't use the velocity data in season because we don't really have good. There's no real history of in-season data for in-season performance. There isn't that kind of day-to-day velocity uh, going long-term. Uh, you can kind of weed that out from, say, Brooks Baseball, but uh, that's not part of the in-season model. But since it reflects, since that velocity drop reflects in his statistics, it is in there to a degree. And as I said, it's dropped him by really three-tenths of a run there. Yeah, that's that's significant, but he will still be quite good. I think that's the uh, bottom line with Jansen, Dodgers fans. Yeah, yeah. don't don't worry yet. There's, I, I tell people that April 17th is way too early to panic. You should panic about your taxes maybe, but not baseball. Well, let's panic about teams or maybe praise some teams. <laughs> let's go to the team side for a minute. Tell me what teams, since we're talking about panic, have actually seen their projected win total drop the most. Well, among the most is is you have the the, the Nationals, most notably. They haven't gotten off to a great start. Uh, and the Mets look better. Their pitching staff has been healthier than it has been in recent years. Because that was always the hope with the Mets, that they'd finally get that desired rotation onto the field, healthy and good at the same time, which hasn't really happened yet. Uh Coming into the season, uh, Zips had them, uh, I think, a six-win favorite in the NL East. But when I ran the projections after last night's games, it's come down to where now the mean projection for the Mets and the Nationals is both 86 wins. It's a dead heat now in the projections, uh, both with like a 37% chance to win a division and the Phillies and Braves also having realistic hopes. Because once the Nationals come down and there's no team that's really expected to say win 93 games, then it's it's pretty much open for four of the five teams in a division. What about the Dodgers? They've seen their offense really struggle. We mentioned Jansen a little bit. The Dodgers' win projection has come down, I imagine? Yeah, their, their divisional projection has come down considerably also. Uh, going into the season, Zips gave them an 80% chance at winning the division. But now, which also factors in, of course, the games that have already been played, that 80% has dropped to 56%. Uh, with only a three-game edge in the mean projections between the Dodgers and the Diamondbacks. Uh, and the Dodgers, their overall playoff odds are now, it's now projected at 77%, and that was over 90% coming into the season. So the, the start is relevant. They're still a really good team, but they're a really good team that's starting off 6-9. and nine. And no matter how good you are, it isn't like you're going to have an extra hot streak to balance that out. Those wins are baked in. Those losses are baked in. It's, it's not going anywhere. So the Dodgers should be a little bit worried. I think that there's no fundamental problem with the team that they have to panic and fix. But the reality is they haven't played that well for the first 15 games. I mean, that's almost 10% of the season already. How about the Red Sox? I noticed you have them separating from the Yankees a little bit. They're off to the best start in franchise history. You have the Red Sox gaining a lot of ground? Yes. Uh, I mean, coming into the season, it had the Yankees, Zips had the Yankees with a slight edge over the Red Sox, but that five game cushion already, plus the, the small changes in outlook just from Red Sox players playing better and Yankees players playing worse, just those changes in expected team construction, how, how good the team is, has, has essentially made them equal. And the thing is, when you're as good as the team that's five games ahead of you, your most likely result is to finish five games behind that team. So Zips now sees the Red Sox as being a substantial favorite, but the Yankees still with 
overwhelming odds to to go to the playoffs. I'm curious what Zips thought of the Tampa Bay Rays at the beginning of the season. There was an interesting sort of split with them where Pakoda had them as being around 500. I don't know where Zips had them, but Vegas guys thought they'd be one of the worst teams in the league. And right now, the Vegas guys are right. Well, one of the things is they've had a lot of injuries uh, since since the start of the season. They've lost Kiermaier. They've had a number of Tommy John surgeries that are happening. Uh, Zip started off the winter with having them around 500. And as the winter happened and moves happened and players left the team and injuries started happen- happening, it, it, it kind of shifted down as, as time went on. Uh, March 27th was my last one before this season. At that point, Zips had the race down to 76 wins. Uh, at this point, after their start, they're down in the projections to 70 wins. Uh, Time to panic. And, and gone, maybe. I don't think they expected to be that good this year once they started losing their pitchers. Once, you know, Honeywell was out, DeLeon was out. Uh, at this point, it was going to be a rough season in Tampa Bay. But I think it's a little rougher for Tampa than probably they hoped going in. We're going to do some individual stuff now. We'll go back to some individual projections for this year, which means, of course, we have to talk about Otani. But before we do that, I want to ask you how the system handles players coming over from NPB and KBO in general. Well, the, well, the good thing, especially with Japan, is that we now have 20 years of a lot of players going over, both both in the majors and the minors. Because even if we don't have that many coming over here, we have players going over there. So it's not going to be as accurate as, say, translating a triple a player but it's it's going to be a lot better than we had 20 years ago and which 20 years ago it'd be mostly a guess and having some data is better than having no data um zips was a fan of otana coming into the season uh, i projected him to start 23 games uh and uh, get about 300 at bats and it had him as a four win player based on that uh because i mean combining average-ish offense with good pitching. I mean, that's, that's incredible value. Uh, I'm, I'm, I have to admit, I kind of would have liked to have seen him in the National League because that bat is a lot more valuable as a pitcher than as an occasional designated hitter. Uh, and it's too bad that the Angels don't play enough interleague games to be able to just kind of, you know, save Otani for interleague games. Because if you could just get him to start, say, 10 interleague games a year, that's like having an, a DH that the other team doesn't have every time you're you're on the road against an NL team. It's like we get we get a DH and you do not. And that, that has a lot of value. You look at at like Wes Farrell, uh, one of the best, I wouldn't call him a two-way player, but he was a really excellent hitter for a pitcher. Uh, to the to the degree that it actually puts him in the marginal Hall of Fame category when you consider his offensive contributions. Uh, I know there was always that old joke that uh, the Hall of Fame got Rick Farrell's stats instead of Wes Farrell's stats and inducted the wrong Farrell, but I don't. That might be apocryphal. Yeah, they definitely got the wrong Farrell. I've heard a couple different stories on that. Steve Goldman told one. I forget somebody else told me one on the podcast. The one that I liked the most was that he got in because he was like uh, Rick Farrell was a scout for the Tigers. He was a longtime baseball guy. Everyone liked him. And someone in the veterans committee room said, just make sure he gets one vote. Don't don't make it embarrassing for him. So everyone gave him the sympathy vote and he ended up getting in. Yeah, that, that's all. I if, if Dick Thompson was still with us, uh, he he he. He's kind of the, he was kind of the the historian expert on the Farrell brothers. He could probably talk a lot about. Farrell and, and Wes Farrell and Rick Farrell and everyone has their theories. Uh, but that 
I mean, people say it's, it's a little soon to compare Otani to Babe Ruth coming in, but I didn't have a problem comparing him to Farrell coming in. I thought he could pitch as well as Farrell and he could possibly hit better than Farrell did because Farrell, he had a hundred OPS plus for his career. That's, that's a good, that's a really great hitting picture. Cause normally when we talk about great hitting pictures, it, it's still for a picture. Uh, I mean, you talk about Madison Bumgarner's power and, and say, uh, Carlos Zambrano, who was another picture who was considered had a reputation for being a good offensive player but even Zambrano he had like a 630 OPS uh, career that's an amazing picture but Otani is actually a decent hitter for a hitter which is a pretty big deal when you if you had the opportunity to use that well let's talk about that so Zips really liked Otani when he first signed and when he was coming over four win player that's really good as a 22 year old rookie coming over from a different league but then he was awful in spring training how did the projections drop right before the season was about to start? After spring training, did they drop significantly? I don't actually use spring training stats. Uh, while Dan Rosenheck has shown that they have like a tiny bit of value, it I, it tends to be very, very hard to kind of squeeze much out of it. Uh, maybe you want to do it for a player that has limited experience like Otani does, but I didn't want to just, you know, do something for one guy and not for everyone else. So, so spring training didn't really have an effect on the projection. Uh, and of course... So far, it's not looking like spring training really meant all that much because even when he's been hit, he's looked pretty impressive while doing it. Uh, I mean, the A's ran into a couple good balls against him that second inning in his debut. I think it was the second. But he he still looked filthy at times, even in that inning. Uh, coming into the season, uh, Zips had him projected because, you know, projection systems are conservative and there was some uncertainty. It had him projected for a 40-win career as a pitcher and adding another 10 to 15 wins as a hitter and that puts them you know where you where you start thinking hey there's a there's an upside in which he could be a realistic hall of famer uh, is that what zips so, projects for him now 55 wins i mean if he does that he's going to get in uh, yeah it's up to 58 wins now when you combine when when you have mike mucina not getting in and kurt Schilling not getting in and you know players like kevin brown being one and outed so it, it's hard to see what that will bring but if he does have a career that's close, just the fact that he was such a sensation and a two-way guy, maybe that'll get him over the hump. But we'll see. There's a, it's a long way to go. There's, you know, there's still a lot of uncertainty for any 23-year-old. What is the projection where it stands now with Otani? Where do you see him in terms of his ERA, his FIP, his war this season? How much did that increase from when we first signed? Coming into the season, it saw Otani as around a 750 OPS guy. That, that that's taken a bump just because in very limited time, he's hit well against difficult pictures to hit as in addition, not just, it's not like he's beating up on the Orioles. I make fun of the Orioles a lot. I can't help it. Uh, but zip sees him more as a 780 OPS guy instead of a 750. And that, 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 that that's pretty big. It adds, you know, like an extra half a win a year uh, and over a career, you know, half a win here, half a win there. You're talking about, you know, real value pretty quickly. Uh, pitching, wise zips had him at a at 347 coming in hasn't been 345 now so it hasn't really shifted because zips liked him a lot anyway i mean zips projected him to strike out 11 batters a game coming into the year uh so that he's been excellent uh on the mound isn't really a surprise to the projections uh the his his brief limited hitting is more of a surprise this is good stuff. I mean, and it's very exciting. I'm watching all of the Otani games. I, it, there's something to be said of, is he really the only guy that could have done this? Did 
management? Did front offices blow this with guys with potential two-way stars in the past that they may choose one? I think probably is the answer, but it's certainly exciting that we're getting to see this now. Yeah, the, the problem is teams are, are a little risk-averse when they spend money on young players. So say you have a two-way hitter, uh, a, a hitter picture in the minors. I mean, you you... When you're a major league team, if there's if there's someone that talented, they're probably a high draft pick, and you want to try to see your draft pick succeed at what he's best at. So you never really saw Brooks Kishnick get to be a two way guy early in his career. Uh, same with like Micah Owings, who 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 didn't really get to do that. And so teams are a little conservative about that. But here, since Otani developed in Japan, the the baseball in in Major League Baseball didn't have any risk of developing Otani as a pitcher and a hitter. Uh, NPB, they took all the risk uh, in, in developing him that way. Uh, and since he's already essentially done that at a league that's better than AAA, then you say, hey, you know, he's proven it. And once he's proven it, then then teams are more willing to do that thing. Uh, I, I do think teams should be more aggressive with that. I think there's, as I said, there's 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 excess conservatism sometimes. I'm curious how you handle things like slow starters and fast starters for as much as that's a real thing. Bryce Harper is someone who is dominant in April and Joey Votto struggles by his standards in April. I'm curious how the system handles fast starts and slow starts. You mentioned Harper's actually seen an increase earlier. Has Votto seen a decrease? Uh, Yes, Votto's seen a decrease. I haven't found much use for historical month-by-month splits. Uh, Essentially... If you take all the data we have for for players and how they fare in different months, and we did that in a randomized fashion, the distributions actually look pretty much identical. Even if there is some kind of source there of, for why a player gets off to a harder start, there's so much noise in that data that, that we'd never find it. I mean, let's say Votto is the one player that really has trouble with a full start. But there's so much data that says to ignore that, that it's hard to be able to look at the data and point at him and say, that is the player who does that. So Zips does discount Votto a bit. Uh, not not severely. I mean, he's he's still Joey Votto. But I, I think that that's, there's just too much noise. And the noisier the data, the, the more you have to just kind of accept that's going to be a source of error. We're going to shift over, do some career stuff here. I'm curious at what point Mike Trout is no longer expected to have the most career war going forward. Are we already there? Have guys like Bryant and Correa caught him? This was this was the first year that Mike Trout has dropped to second place in the rest of the rest of career war for for hitters. I think for pitchers too. I don't actually have them sorted on the same list. But generally speaking, Zips will rate the hitters more highly simply because they're, you know, less risky than a pitcher because a pitcher is a very fragile, delicate creature. So who passed him? Who is the guy that's going to uh, have more career war than Trout oh, at this point? Oh, yeah. Yeah, the, the million-dollar question I didn't answer. Uh, Carlos Correa has has just passed uh, Trout in rest of career war this year from the projections. Uh, literally by, by like, one war. Zips thinks that, that Correa has 60 left and that Trout has 59 left. Uh, and then there, there are some guys that are kind of creeping up on Trout from behind. Francis, Francisco Lindor is, Cody Cody Bellinger is, uh, Mookie Betts and Chris Bryant are, Jose Ramirez has uh, kind of peaked up a little. But Ramirez, he's, he's only a year younger than Trout, so I don't know if he's actually ever going to catch Trout. So, uh, oh, Ronald Acuna, but we'll probably talk about him 
coming yeah, in. Yeah, Acuna had uh, so much hype coming into the season. They sent him down, and he's really struggled, but that, that doesn't really matter at this point. He's expected to come up once the surface time manipulation is over. Uh, tell me what you project for Acuna, not to take you off the career and have you go back to another tab, but let's go to Acuna and tell me what you expect from him. Well, Zips gave him the thir- gave him pretty much a, a projection of being already an above-average player in the majors, because similar to how it gave Buxton a similar projection a couple years ago. Uh, it, it projected both Acuna and Albies as three-win players. Now, for those at home that don't know what, what, what war means what, two you think of two wins as kind of a league average player, four wins as an all-star level. So Zips, which is conservative, already projected a 20-year-old and a 21-year-old to be somewhere between average and all-stars in their first full seasons. I know Albies doesn't, Albies doesn't, qualify for the rookie of the year but this is his first full season in the majors either way uh so that that's one of the reasons that zips is projecting the braves to have a lot of upside because you look at players like that because i go back to mike trout zips projected mike trout to have a four win season his rookie year that was the best projection zips had ever given a position player coming into a rookie season or a pitcher i believe uh, and even that was off by six wins in the wrong direction. Uh, people think that that just because like a four-win projection means that the player could fall, say, two wins short. That's true. But it also means that the four-win player could actually be a six-win player or a seven-win player or a major superstar already. So the Braves had that kind of upside. And and you look at their pitching, they have a lot of young pitching with an uncertain upside. And that that's what a rebuilding team needs, risk is the friend of a rebuilding team. The, the riskier the players you have, the more upside you have, the more opportunities you have to pick the guys that exceed their expectations and break out. And I think that's what you're seeing in Atlanta right now. And I think that Atlanta and, and Philadelphia in the next few years will start to dominate the division. Are there any rookies even close to that three win projections? Do you have anybody else even in their territory? I don't think so. I'm looking, that's how far do I have to scroll down? Yeah, pretty far. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm. No, I'm just. I'm just sitting here. Scott Kingery. I mean, you can't really. Uh, no, Kingery not even close. Kingery at seventy-seven. Well, here, let me sort by this. Uh, I mean, Reese Hoskins. He's not a rookie anymore, uh, so he doesn't really count. Uh, I'm trying to. I'm just trying to find the next rookie past Albies because I have Albies with the forty-second best WAR uh, for position players. He might and... beat that. Yeah, he might beat that. He he's he had a slow start, but then he's just burst out pretty impressively. Let's see. Acuna's at 72. And yeah, we're, we're having to go a long way. Uh, <laughs> Gansby Swanson doesn't count. He's a, I'm already down to 112 here. Uh, Nick Senzel of the Reds at 126th. And that's that's two, that's that's two wins right there. So, yeah, he, they project as the best hitters. Now, uh for the pitchers, uh, Luis Gohara came into the season with a pretty solid projection, a three-win type projection. Uh, and it, it, it's pretty impressive when you can develop players like that. Now, obviously, we haven't seen that Gohara yet, but we could at some point soon. Hopefully. Maybe. <laughs> Let's go back on the Mike Trout train. Tell me what you have as his career numbers. What do you have his career slash line ending up as? How many home runs, hits? What's his uh, war total at the end of all this? Career numbers, it has him, on average, 2,700 hits, 560 home runs, 114 war. I mean, that sounds absurd, but he's at 56 now. 
in 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 uh, baseball reference war. I mean, 56, he's he's 27 years old later this year, and he's already at 56 wins. That's that's just an absurd number. I mean, how do you handle war, by the way? Do you use either baseball reference or fan graphs war? Do you sort of hybrid them and create your own? What do you do there? I I tend to be somewhere in the middle uh, approach wise, not intentionally, simply because I like some of the things that each does. I, I do like how baseball reference. I don't like FIP as much in a career for war. I like FIP because Fangraphs war is based for pictures is based is based on the FIP, the, the filling independent pitching for the pictures. And I like that on a year to year basis, but over a long career, it has less relevance. I think when you want, I think you want to consider Tom Glavin in one year beating his FIP differently than Tom Glavin after 22 years of beating his FIP. Uh, so I tend to use FIP as a base, but I regress it towards kind of their career relationship between their FIP and their ERA, like how well they do relative to their defense. Uh, in, in practice, Zips just tends to come out somewhere in the middle uh, of the two numbers. That Trout War number would get them top 20 all time. That's in A-Rod territory. It's in Ricky Henderson territory. So, I, you know, there's a lot of black and white pictures ahead of him, too. He'd be very high up for expansion era players. Yeah, Trout is at the point now that if he got hit by a bus, I, I think that he would have to get that Addy Joss exception, get that get waive the ten year rule and, and get put right in. Essentially, that's how good he is. If he was forced to retire today, he would get in. The writers would petition the hall; they would put him on the ballot. He'd get in right away. I have no doubt about that. How about Harper's career projected numbers? Where do you have him with home runs and WAR? For the reasons I've I've gone into earlier, Zips is always a little unsure with Harper. Simply because he hasn't, you know, stayed healthy. He's had some down years. I know that when they were coming up, the tendency was to compare Harper and Trout. But I think Trout is clearly a tier above Harper, as sad as that is to say. I mean, everyone's a tier below Harper. So, I mean, Trout, so it's not really an insult. But I mean, he has, you know, the 10 war season, but his second best war is five. And that's an awesome season, but it's not a Trout season. But anyway, uh, Zips has him with another... 43 war finishing at 70 war, which puts him right on the cusp. Uh, if he's healthier the next few years, that could go up pretty quickly. Uh, Zips is still kind of unsure about how many games he's going to play year on and year out. It's, it's projecting him for like 130 a year, but if he's doing 145 a year and staying healthy and that's declining at a, at a decent rate, then you, you start to boost up into the easy hall of fame category territory. Uh, right now, Zips has about 70 wins, career totals, 2,200 hits, uh, 490 home runs. Uh, I mean, pretty good numbers, but he, he will have to stay healthy, I think, to have a Hall of Fame case. Simply because it's you, you can't get in automatically with 490 home runs, I don't think. I will say this, though. He's not stopping at 490. If he's at 490, he's yeah, going to do yeah. everything he can to hang on and get that. Yeah, I always, I always laugh when, when, when Zips projects the player to just miss like a milestone like that. For instance, it has Justin Upton retiring with 398 home runs. Like there's no way he's not coming back for the final two. Can we look at the career leaderboard? This is interesting. We just sort of blew past that. You have trout projected for 570 home runs. Who else? Who else do you have joining the 500 home run club? Well, it has Pujols cause he's already there. Yeah. Miguel Cabrera. will get there. I still, uh, it, ha- it has Mike Stanton and Cody Bellinger both over 600 home runs. <laughs> That's aggressive for Bellinger. It is. Zips is is really just 
loves Bellinger. Uh, I worry about that Tony Conigliaro comp. Hopefully he'll have better luck not getting hit by pitches. Uh, and then after that, you have Cabrera, Miguel Cabrera at 525, uh, Beltre 502, Machado at 461, Edwin Encarnacion 448, Nolan Arenado 424, Correa 412. And to finish off the 400 club, Judge at 409. Then we get into Justin Upton below. Wow. I mean, that's a good group. It's, I can't believe they're that aggressive on Bellinger. With one yeah, I was surprised, too. It's yeah, so but... hard to hit 400 home runs or, five, or 600 home runs. Is well, that what they have them for? 600? Yeah. It's also hard to hit 39 home runs as a rookie at 21. This is very true. How about hits? How about 3,000 hit club? Look at it this way. Bellinger, he, he's at 41 home runs now. He's already more than 10% of the way to 41 to 400 home runs. <laughs> uh, let's see. 3,000 club has Altuve. Oh, God, this is cruel. 29.96 for Altuve. There's no <laughs> chance. He's going to go way over that. Yeah. If, if he lost a leg in a car accident with 29.96 hits, they would, they would give him a prosthesis and get him those four hits, I think. Uh, Manny Machado around 2,600. Lindor 2,500. Thinks Vada will stick around long enough for 2,500. Hits are tricky now. So no one no one is at 3,000, not even Cano? Well, veteran-wise, I was thinking of the younger players. Veteran-wise, Beltre, Pujols, Cabrera, and Cano all pass 3,000. With Beltre finishing the highest of anyone active, uh, Zips projects him right now at 33-32. I mean, he's, he's, he's timeless in a way. I, I honestly didn't believe when he committed that error a couple nights ago. But hit, hit, hits are tricky right now. Uh, people don't realize how low league batting averages are now. Uh, it, it's kind of strange because we're in a time of high offense overall, but that's that's pretty much entirely due to home runs. Uh, when you go back to the, the the late 90s, if you look at those hitting stats, the, the league was hitting around 270 as a whole. The league hasn't been above even 260 since 2009. And in the early going... The league is hitting 239 this year, which is ridiculous. Uh, I mean, people talk about like, you know, 1968. That was a 237 league. And this is a 239 league. It's like the year of the picture, batting average wise. And uh, I, I think that'll come up because, you know, we've had a lot of cold weather. But still, if, if you're talking like a 250 season, that kind of environment, you're going to have fewer 3,000 hit guys. It's just as simple as that. That's very true. How about on the reverse side, on the pitching side? 3,000 Ks. Ks are up. I'm, I'm curious if we see anybody get there or 300 wins. It has Kershaw getting near 4,000. Uh, Scherzer at about 3,600. Chris Sale, 3,500. Then Verlander, 3,400. Sabathia, 3,200. And to finish out the 3,000 club is Granke, Chris Archer, Luis Severino, and Robbie Ray. Robbie Ray. No chance. Zips has uh, Kershaw coming the closest to 300, has him getting to 267, simply because, you know, it's it's harder to win that many games, and there's long-term uncertainty for any picture. So he could very easily crush that projection or or fall short after his arm falls off, which tends to happen. Uh, Zips had Sabathia at one point a few years ago before he kind of declined. It had him up at 280-290. That dropped for a while, but... Last season and 2016-2017 and resuscitated his career quite a bit. Uh, he's back up to 266 in the projections. Kershaw is number one in the projections at 267 for active players? Correct, 267 for Kershaw. 
then Verlander two fifty, Granky two forty eight, Sale at two thirty nine, Lester at two twenty nine, Scherzer two twenty eight, uh, Felix Hernandez two oh eight. Although that's that's starting to look. If I if I reran the career projection right now, I think he would drop a little bit on that. And then it it, it thought John Lackey could hit two hundred if he hung around, got like one more one or two more years as a bad picture. But it's looking like Lackey is hit forced retirement, so he's not going to hit that 200. And what about the pitcher war going forward? Who is actually projected to have the most career ward for, war from this point on? Chris Sale has actually passed Clayton Kershaw. Kershaw was kind of the trout of the pitchers where he had been up front for a long time, but now it's Sale, Kershaw, Syndergaard, and then Aaron Nola, which, which a lot of people wouldn't think, but he's actually a pretty interesting young pitcher, uh, has had a lot of success already. Uh, and then Carlos Martinez, Jose Quintana. Otani's actually in the top 20 now, if I look at it, for war left. Yeah, this list dropped off quick, though. Oh, I'm yeah, curious yeah. about Severino. It didn't have Severino on there, even though you, it projected him for 3,000 Ks. Yeah, I sorry. I kind of cut him off after Martinez, and I just noticed that there was Otani uh, a little farther down. It has Severino at 11th, and uh, then it has Marcus Stroman. So he, he is up there. I'll end it with this. I heard this on Effectively Wild, I don't know, a week ago. Somebody asked the question, will Adrian Beltre pass Albert Pujols in career war? It's crazy to think about that, but Pujols is going down. Beltre is still going up. Where do you have the two of them ending up? Let's see. Uh, let's see. War remaining. I, I still have Beltre with six war left. Let's see. Baseball reference. That 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 puts him at ninety nine point seven WAR. Wow! Using just just using baseball reference here. Uh, Pujols right now, where is he? Ninety nine point seven WAR. Yeah, I actually would see Zips projects Pujols to be negative zero point three for the rest of his career. But Zips also has this idea that the Angels are going to stop playing him soon, when it seems that the Angels are determined to have him play out the rest of the contract, no matter how poorly he hits. Uh, so actually, yeah, I think at least by baseball reference where I think that that Beltre will pass Pujols. It's amazing, right? It's crazy to think about that, though I think this about Pujols. If Pujols actually has a year like he does last year, if he's that bad again, he'll just retire. What does he have to gain? Or he'll get a buyout of some kind. I know there's a ton of money at stake, but they can give him $30 million. At that point, he'll only have three years left. Here's a year to do nothing. Here's $30 million, and then just let him go. I, I don't see him hanging around for no reason. He has nothing left to prove. He's an inner circle Hall of Famer. He's an all-time great. If he can't play anymore, why keep doing it? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a tough situation to see because it, 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 it kind of hurts to see Pujol's second half of his career not even a half, second, third of his third, third of his career, because I mean he was such a phenomenal hitter. I mean, one of the best ever that that, that I can remember ever seeing, and I'm I'm sure pretty nobody nobody disagrees with that. But he the decline has just been so bad. His his he looks slow out there, his bat looks slow compared to what it used to be. Uh he can occasionally run into a few home runs, but he's just not a good hitter anymore. And that's pretty depressing in a way to to see a great like that. Yeah, his first 10 years can be matched with any 10-year stretch in history, especially if you start looking at uh, integration-era or expansion-era players. There are very few who can match a 10-year stretch like he's had. We'll see what Trout does when his 10 years are actually up. 
But you've been listening to Dan Samborski. Dan, thanks so much for taking the time to join the podcast today. Thanks for having me on again. <laughs>